0: You're listening to Love in the Time of Chasmosaurs, the podcast, the audio supplement to our blog of the same name about the science, art, and popular culture of Mesozoic life. I'm Nati. I'm Mark. And I'm Niels. In episode 21, we will be eschewing our artist interview and will instead be devoting our entire episode to our Vintage Dinosaur Art title, which this month is our oldest book yet. Evolution in the Past by Henry R. Knipe, with illustrations by Alice B. Woodward and Ernest Bucknell, published by Herbert and Daniel in 1912. But first, three brand spanking new dinosaurs to report this month, goodness me. Let's start with what is likely to be the most unjustly underreported of them all, a new ornithopod with a rather wonderful name, Niels.
1: Yes, echoing Albert E. Wood's famous 1957 paper, What, if anything, is a rabbit? Let us turn towards the eternal question, what, if anything, is a rabodontid? These rabodontids, uh, they seem to be smallish Ornithopods that are endemic to Europe, which means we find them in Europe and nowhere else. All its definite members, uh, represented by five genera, are from the late Cretaceous. A long-lived ghost lineage of late-surviving non-Hadrosaur Iguanodontians. And these five genera are now joined by a sixth. Uh, this isn't so much a new discovery as a splitting. Zalmoxis from the famous Hatchek Basin of Transylvania and, of course, featured in Prehistoric Planet, is the genus to which all of the ornithopod material from that particular area has so far been um, ascribed. Now, a new paper, Open Access, Q cheers from happy children, um, Yay. by uh, Felix Augustine et al. suggests that Zalmoxies might be a good old-fashioned wastebasket taxon. Dun-dun-dun! Dun-dun-dun! And, uh, you know, a paraphyletic one at that, because they have split one alleged Zalmoxies specimen. Specimen. Spe- one spe- new spe- alleged specimen. Spe- 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 <laughs> spe- <laughs> Sean Connery there. James Bond. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Money, And has split one alleged Zalmoxies specimen, known mostly from assorted skull material, off into a new species with the wonderfully Halloweeny name of Transylvanosaurus platycephalus. Uh, Is that fantastic? <laughs> <laughs> yes, great, isn't it? It's the Transylvania twist. Um, furthermore, the authors find a Transylvanosaurus to be closer to a Rabidon itself, which is from France, than to its Romanian neighbor, Zalmoxis. Thus, the history of these unassuming Rabidontids from Europe becomes ever more complex and interesting than ever expected. There. Let me see you top that with your theropods. Fantastic, Niels. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, uh, by
0: contrast now, perhaps the biggest news this month, a new dromiosaur with more than just its own appearance to reveal. Mark?
2: Okay. Here we have intestinal preservation. a bird-like dinosaur supports conservatism in digestive um, canal evolution among theropods by Wang et al. There's a certain Italian paleontologist on the author list as well. He's the second second second-named author um obviously won't say his name just to annoy him uh this has been published in nature scientific reports and therefore is open access cue the children again cheering Yay! Um, Yay! and it concerns a quite new dromaeosaurid from lower cretaceous of the pigeon hill locality in Inner mongolia and is named Dualong um it's yet another beautifully preserved dromaeosaur from the g biota yeah because <laughs> there are so many of them now we're losing track i think um <laughs> It's getting, it's getting ludicrous. I mean, I remember back in the day when there were only about five Drymerosaurs known, and now there are, you know, 50 just from the G But in any case, um, this is more along the lines of uh, Raptor and Zhuanyan uh, long than Microraptorines. So it's bigger, um, but in this case, bigger means about one and a half meters. It's not huge, but a lot bigger than a Microraptorine. Right. Um, and it has sort of shorter forelimbs proportionally. The authors describe it as unambiguously a dromaeosaur, based on a number of characters. Some people have been suggesting maybe it's not a dromaeosaur, the feet are a bit crushed and it could be hard to tell that it has the claw Uh and everything, but the authors say, no, there are um, plenty of characters in there that indicate it is a dromaeosaur. Yeah, so it's pretty complete, as I said, a bit smashed up. The skull has a very interesting um, sort of, basically, the... um, Parts of the right nasal and lacrimal have been displaced, and it gives it the appearance of almost having like a head crest, but it doesn't. It's just a crushed skull. Um, right. so it would have had a quite a typical Dromaeus or skull uh, with quite robust teeth, as it turns out. Um, and indeed, similar displacement is visible in the Chivonian uh, long holotype um, as well. So it's not like it's unique to this specimen. But in any case, the big news is you know, the amount of soft tissue preservation, and it's not even that it has feathers, that's old news these days, we expect them to have feathers, that's just rubbish, <laughs> but in fact it also has traces of the intestinal tract, uh, visible as a bluish layer, right. and it, as it turns out, there's a great deal in common here with uh, Scipionics, which also has a similar preservation of um, intestinal bits. Um, in fact, the authors note that the topographical correspondence between the whole intestinal mass in Scipionics and the Paravian Duolong, uh Daolong, Duolong, Daolong. Uh, supports conservatism in intestinal general organization among fornivorous theropods. or so In other words, uh, Scipionics, which is nowhere near um, Paravians, it's either regarded as being you know, a sort of very off, early offshooting shooting sclerosaur, or possibly even a juvenile allosauroid. Um, so yes, nowhere near a dromiosaur. It has a similar arrangement in its intestines to uh, Daolong, which indicates that these theropods were generally quite conservative in their you know, guts. <laughs> As they evolved. And in fact, the point is that neither of them is particularly like a modern bird. Oh, wow. So uh, yeah, there's definitely some conservatism. It indicates that um, bird guts are quite derived and right. unique,
1: I suppose. Not necessarily what you would expect from a dromius. No.
2: And they also remarked that some, um, basically, people thought they'd found, the authors thought they found um, possible eggs in cyanosoropteryx, but the author of this paper note that actually these the, the supposed eggs bear similarities to the preserved intestinal tract of uh, right. daolong ah. so it's likely that they are just that as well uh, additionally people have noted the the frog connection because there is indeed a preserved a neuron on the same slab it is not in the gut so there's no indication that um that daolong actually ate this frog uh, at all it's just there but obviously they clearly work contemporaneous so you know depicting it eating a frog is not unreasonable but right. it doesn't mean, it, but the frog was not itself in the gut confidence. It was just preserved on the right. same
1: slab. Maybe they were friends.
2: Maybe they could, yeah, they could have been Maybe friends. Could have been, so been friends. So perhaps these pictures of them, <laughs> pictures of one of and the other could be well off the, way off the mark. They could actually have just bit head I sat around having a nice little wow, we need parties, a new picture book now. Sipping cups of tea. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: this yes. is, this is a scene from Hema Bandland if I ever oh, heard right, one. To be, to be sure. yeah, so it feels <laughs> like you're calling, Penny,
2: now you need, to, you need to abandon the never ending book and just have a uh, dinosaur tea parties. Wow. Why with um, all dinosaurs politely sitting around, with uh, proper Chinese—obviously the Chinese um, dromaeosaurs need to have proper Chinese-style cups oh, and tea pots and they can all be uh, yep. cups of tea. And uh, you'd be extremely good at the detail there. I, I would know. love that of all things. Yes, it needs to happen. All right, well there we go. There's on you. But well, there you thank go. You very much. Sense of work your way.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Mark. Uh, And finally, it is a topsy-turvy day indeed on Chasmosaurs, when I am reporting on a new Tyrannosaur shock horror. What? Allow me. Who and indeed his. Indeed. (laughs) What? The paper. A transitional species of Despletosaurus from the Judith River Formation of Eastern Montana by Elias A. Warshaw and Denver W. Fowler describes exactly that. Despletosaurus wilsoni, a new derived Tyrannosaurine said to be a transitional species linking the ancestral Despletosaurus taurosus with the later Despletosaurus horneri in an evolutionary lineage evolving from 77 to 75 million years ago. The specimen, which consists of most of the skull and a partial skeleton, was recovered by the Badlands Dinosaur Museum from 2017 to 2021 and has been nicknamed Sisyphus, thanks to the seemingly endless task of removing the fossil from beneath eight metres of rock. And it's not just that we have a new dinosaur... The position of this Despletosaurus wilsoni as a halfway point or missing link, and I quote from the press release, between younger and older Tyrannosaur species seems to support previous research, which identified several species of Despletosaurus as a single evolving lineage and further, supports the intriguing hypothesis that the Despletosaurus lineage was directly ancestral to none other than Tyrannosaurus rex.
1: Well, there you go. There we go. There (laughs) There we go. It's got in. (laughs) It's got in. Every time, every single
0: episode. In summary, Tyrannosaur evolution, in North America at least, seems to be a linear rather than a branched one research, of course, continues. And I do have to mention here the two beautiful accompanying artworks. One of its head by Andrea Tuchin, which notably is lipless. Let me throw a match onto the
1: bonfire there. Oh, that's a take.
0: Uh, Quite. (laughs) The other illustration, a group scene by Rudolf Hema, shows four tyrannosaurs fighting over a centrosaurus carcass. This uh, is in reference to the fact that Sisyphus was just one of four tyrannosaur specimens recovered by by the Badlands Museum between
1: 2017 and 22. Right, so the other ones are still in the rock then? Uh, I'm, it's I'm, more Sisyphean work to be done.
0: I don't know, I'm afraid. I, I'm unaware oh, no. that uh, that when they say recovered, whether that means they've uh, just identified them or whether they've already uh, been removed from uh, from the rock and, and everything else. Um, but uh, there we are. The paper is published by Pierre Jay and is open access.
2: Yay! Yay!
1: Yay!
2: Thanks, Pidge.
1: Thanks, Paige. Yeah, well, this, this is interesting, though, isn't it? Because uh, there's these uh, two rivaling hypotheses about the origin of T-Rex itself mm. being either an immigrant from Asia or being in the U.S. or in uh, North America all along and having developed from these Daspletosaurus-like ancestors. That's yeah.
2: true. I, I was thinking that the evidence was way more towards the two separate lineages at this point because of the link, the links between Tarbosaurus and various other Mon- sort of Mongolian Asian tyrannosaurs, right? In some characters of anatomy, um, I thought the more the evidence was tending more towards Tarbosaurus and Tyrannosaurus, just basically showing lots of similarity through convergent evolution more than anything, um, and right. they are quite different in a lot of ways anyway, and not least the skull, but yeah. Well, um, the skull is-
1: kind of differently shaped and the the arms are a bit smaller in tarbosaurus right but yeah the, the well, they discussed some different huge.
2: characteristics as well um in terms of how the, the jaws work and everything but it's um sort of the reinforcement of the jaws but which is more similar to I, i'm pretty sure i've I read somewhere it's more similar to Alioramus, but then tyrannosaurus but instead of that but i anyway, am being vague no but <laughs> i'm i'm sure there are Still competing ideas on this,
0: I'm so. sure, and and I have nothing at all to offer as to as to any ideas of my own because I, I'm you know I'm not a Tyrannosaur person. You will be much more informed on this than I am, so uh, so yes.
1: Let us on to our vintage dinosaur art. Vintage dinosaur art. This time, very very vintage exactly. indeed. Exactly so. As opposed to uh, last month, <laughs> quite. <laughs> yeah, last month
2: wasn't even properly vintage. <laughs> no, not at all. Some rubbish thrown together by that hat conway and you
0: know and also awesome, you know. evolution in anyway. the past by henry r Knipe, with illustrations by alice b woodward and ernest bucknell um we should note i think that although ernest bucknell contributes some beautiful mesozoic landscapes and is therefore co-illustrator for this book uh, the bulk of the illustrations are by alice woodward and it is these that we'll be focusing on am i right Yes. Yes,
1: I should think so.
2: Not least because the ones in which dinosaurs are prominently featured are, well, the vast majority of them are woodwinds. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you yeah, know, Stegosaurus, Diplodocus, Triceratops, etc.
0: etc. I'm triply excited to be discussing this book because, um, I mean, for a start, it is our oldest title so far. And uh, the illustrator is a woman creating scientific images at uh, more or less the turn of the 20th century. And moreover, she is an illustrator who is directly in my province in that, She was working during a period in which I... She did
1: all the Gilbert and Sullivan stuff. Well,
0: she was working during a period in which I have a particular passion for and not just limited to the Gilbert and Sullivan illustrations. Um, And uh, is herself uh, both primarily a children's illustrator and secondarily a natural history one. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sensing a kind of kinship between us, which I probably uh, shouldn't be allowed to make. But nevertheless, um, But anyway... Before I'm run away with by my gushing, stop me if you dare, where would we like to start?
1: You're quite right. She is, of course, uh, mostly famous for being an illustrator of children's books, uh, storybooks, that sort of thing. Famously, she did Alice in Wonderland. She did Black Beauty. She did all the the Gilbert and Sullivan stuff. Um, And uh, the, the connection between her and the natural history stuff is that her father was Henry Woodward. And he happened to be a geologist. He, uh, he was the keeper of geology at the uh, NHM in London. Yes. And uh, as soon as she was a teenager and skilled enough, she was illustrating stuff for his papers and for his presentations and lectures and, and that sort of thing. So she really grew up with this stuff. And uh, actually, for the time, we're in the 1910s. So this is well over 100 years old. This is quite accurate for the time they are extraordinary uh, for the time of course being an important qualification mm.
2: she did work with the british museum brackets natural history as it was at the time technically yeah. <laughs> on this book yes. this
1: is also in the heat of the bone wars right is it not a bit after it, it is somewhat some, somewhat
0: after yes it's it's um yeah yeah it published
2: in 1912 would be a bit after but, that uh, but um certainly there are some fruits of the bone wars in here yeah. Uh, to mention it again, there is no Tyrannosaurus, but there is tri- there is Triceratops, Diplodocus, Stegosaurus.
1: So there are lots of Those North are American, old bone wars uh, genera.
2: Lots of North American dinosaurs creeping in, um, and I suppose it's worth comparing the um, immensely detailed naturalistic images of some other fauna in here. Like there's an image from the Jurassic period depicting marine invertebrates like ammonites and what looked like giant crayfish i have no idea what the hell they are <laughs> but, uh, it's it's an amazingly detailed naturalistic piece and that's carried over into some of the dinosaurs so the ones that tend to be um more detailed naturalistic also take on these extremely lizardy reptilian characters um i said the diplodocus is more of a contrast in that it looks it looks more unlikely like the um the stegosaurus for example although it looks absolutely nothing like a stegosaurus and let's be fair it's uh it does look like a big lizard with lots of spikes on it and it doesn't look like a real animal that could exist but it looks like an animal exactly it looks genuine whereas product looks to me like some kind of wacky um you know it, it just reminds me of nothing more than Gertie that's you know, <laughs> thank the you for saying as uh, much I me.
0: was so hoping yes that if you didn't mention Gertie I, I was going to do exactly that yes Windsor Mackay's uh, animation of Gertie the dinosaur um, which, uh, which this illustration of Alice's predates by just two years. But, um, I mean, the, the fact remains that, yeah, it does, yeah. that, um, because both were working from exactly the same period and their, uh, their vision and their aesthetic is all there. Uh, the, the, parallels are not, are not at all unwarranted. I think even if the, 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 they are a little distance apart, just know, two years, but yeah. But it's not. It's so easy uh, to see the similarity there, both stylistically and uh, and just in terms of how th- uh, a sauropod was imagined at the
1: time. You can also see a bit of a goose in there, right? In the Diplodocus.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I was also thinking ostrich. Ostrich, The aspect of the neck and head that's coming towards the viewer really right. me of an ostrich. Um, and of course, hanging around the water, which is how it's described in the text. So it's described as being this water-living animal that fed on mushy plants, which obviously a very typical view of the time. And then for about, you know, 30, 40 years afterwards as well. Well, in the text, it's actually described with sprawling limbs, which interestingly is not quite how it's portrayed in... Um, no, it's not what she does. Uh, no, it's more upright-limbed, as it indeed, you know, was. Uh, so that's that's something. It makes me wonder kind about of, her uh, reference ki- material.
1: Kind of scrawny limbs for uh, to our eyes, at least. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's again very typical of the time. I mean, even Knight. I mean, Knight literally wrote the book on animal and uh, drawing animals and animal anatomy yeah. <laughs> and uh, draw, sort of drawing skeletal diagrams. He he invented practically the skeletal diagram of an animal uh, in its modern sense, and yet he somehow ignored the giant thigh sort of attachment points for muscles on dinosaurs around their thighs and their legs, and just drew them with these scrawny limbs because that's how people expected them to be they expect them to be reptilian and have scrawly muscles so it's, it's the same here which is fair enough really what also intrigues me about those
0: limbs is that the feet are not at all elephantine um they're, they're much more lizard-like no, no they're, they're crocodile-like oh, crocodile-like indeed yeah yeah it's, again uh, it's
2: this hyper reptilian aspect mm. to them i do wonder if she didn't have much better reference material available for some of these animals than others um i think the best contrast that we have here is between the triceratops which really is is obviously recognizable immediately as a triceratops it really could just walked out of a night painting or this was even better than that it's a actually rather beautifully drawn piece um and actually it does have big thigh muscles, funnily enough. Uh, its yeah, legs it is, don't really look scrawny.
1: It is very nice. And it it was very influential. I've seen them restored after this one very often.
2: Yeah. I wonder if the NHM had its weird model mount by that time. And that's what this is based on, because it reminds me of that. It reminds me of the Invicta toy, which I'm pretty sure was based on that, among other things. But it's instantly recognizable as Triceratops. You look at that and you can just immediately see Triceratops. Yes. And it looks, it could, almost past muster. well if not today then at least you know 50 years later than this yes, <laughs> it's exactly, uh, definitely. it's well ahead of its time yes. it's really well done and yet and then you look at the stegosaurus which as i said looks very convincing as an animal but it looks very convincing as a big lizard with lots of interesting um, osteoderms going down its back it looks absolutely nothing like a stegosaurus which makes me think that she's sort of going by some vague descriptions maybe you didn't even have marsh's skeletal to go by because again it looks nothing like that either um is actually recognizable as stegosaurus and this is not it's it's really really interesting the contrast between them
0: yes but all of that said though to me i think this is the most uh the most beautiful of all the unstegosaurus like stegosaurs that there have been (laughs) to my eyes as you said earlier mark it just looks as though it could actually be a convincing animal uh, it's to to me it's just it's beautiful
2: yeah it does um in the same way that civics that the normanpedia look like convincing animals even if they look nothing like how we'd imagine the dinosaurs to be now um or indeed even in the early 1990s cough cough you know uh... (laughs) but anyway this does yeah it does look very naturalistic very much like um extremely well observed lizard um and you, you can see it wandering off into that cave um I, I love the sort of the glance this sort of skulking this stare that it's giving to this tuatara like thing in the foreground it's just sort of what you yeah there's it? an actual is, is this... lizard
1: there for reference yeah <laughs> what
2: does it say prosphenodon, she implies it's um not a lizard but some kind of tuatara thing although i googled that and i think it's the name is long lost presumably it's called something else now but um yeah, what I find also funny about this is that the, obviously the sp- the spines and plates bear no resemblance to Stegosaurus, but the way that the plates then transition into paired that's rows scarce. of spines going down the tail reminds yes. you of other, of other Stegosaurs.
1: Yeah, that's something that Antrosaurus would have. Yes, that's right. Yeah,
2: that's so, how um, so Miragai has been um, restored with spines like that. Lots of Stegosaurs seem to have had spines like that, but just fun- ironically not Stegosaurus itself, which was uh, actually a bit weird for a stegosaur. <laughs> yeah that's a bit of an outlier uh, yeah so yeah there's that one um, i mean that said and again i was contrasting that and the triceratops but there are others in here like the um the Polacanthus even which again that Polycanthus doesn't look that different to something that well indeed neve parker did draw um looks like a bit like parker's Polacanthus, which came later it looks much bit, later even like I mean... civic's which came even later than that. yeah um i mean that and again it makes me think that she had much better reference material to work from which would make sense given that she was at the nhm where they would be quite familiar with the polycanthus material but possibly not stegosaurus and so the Skeletosaurus as
1: well yeah
2: um which is worth pointing out they do say in the text that it was probably quadrupedal most of the time could have reared up on you know and become bipedal uh, facultatively rather than so yeah it's, it's the implication here isn't that it just walked around like that it's sort of it's meant to be rearing up but yeah, again, it's, I do think the, the better ones in here are where she had access to decent material and references, which is understandable at the time because, you know, she couldn't exactly go on the internet and Google Stegosaurus up <laughs> with something.
1: And I wonder how familiar she would have been with some of her contemporaries working around the same time, particularly Knight. This is a good yeah, question.
2: I, mean, yes. I do wonder if she saw any of Knight's. I mean, there's not a lot of Knight influence in here, if any. And, uh, no, I don't not. think so. Not sure there's any at all. Because Knight, no. uh,
1: talking about Stegosaurus, Knight had done at least one Stegosaurus by this time, and as you yeah. observed, it looks nothing like the one in here. So I don't think she would be uh, familiar with Knight's work. No, I, I no, very I much doubt like it. Looks more
2: Stegosaurus as opposed to a big lizard. But, um, yeah. Although, again, I'm sort of disparaging things again, or possibly, well, definitely unfairly. It's worth mentioning a few in here that have aged remarkably well for something over a hundred years old and the yes. prime one among those is the Archaeopteryx which is it's that's an absolutely fantastic. beautiful piece and I love, I love yeah. the fact there are two of them in there and they're having an argument very much like modern birds you know it of birds at a bird feeder and they're squabbling it's
1: interesting how dynamic that piece is how much motion there is in there yes
2: very much um, and the fact that she gets the hands basically right as far as I can tell um, the hands form a part of the wing Yes, as that's right with a
1: see bird. they did this right over a hundred years ago. There is no excuse people no, it's
2: because back then they were think they were imagining it as just being a bird, albeit with claws and teeth um and then somehow it became oh, it was like a weird reptilian bird hybrid, exactly. and that's when you started seeing the sort of detached fingers and the screaming scaly face and all that stuff um you you didn't get that before then. this is just they're imagining it as oh well it was a bird, so here's a bird um and like I, and as you said. Wonderful dynamic piece. It's really enhanced by all of the um, the foliage in the background as well, which picks up, helps emphasize the the feathers. I feel something.
1: But yeah, in terms of things that aged the best scientifically, definitely the Archaeopteryx piece has to be up there. I say so too. Yeah.
2: Yep. Predictably, predictably the ichthyosaurs aren't too bad either. But well, that was always going to happen. <laughs> yeah, because uh, they've been known from good remains for quite a long time. I guess the plesiosaurs and pliosaur aren't too bad either. The um the pliosaur looks terrifying. Oh, that's a great Absolutely. piece.
1: I love yeah, that very piece. Moody. Look at how scary that is. Very scary. And those and, fish uh, flying away. And of course, Pleasiosaurus yeah. has his head above the water so he doesn't see what's coming.
2: Yeah, although it looks like it's almost, it, it's not sort of swan necks though. It looks almost like it's raising its head temporarily out the water before diving back down again, like a swimmer, you know, doing front crawl, just putting their head out the water and before they go down again somehow. Again, there's a lot of dynamism in that, which is remarkable. And yeah, it, the plesiosaur looks so scary. I guess because it's in shadow and it's uh, it looks very three-dimensional.
1: And you know, I think that plesiosaur aged pretty well too compared to some plesiosaur stuff that we have seen with the the swan necks and, um, you know, the sort of dragon uh, aspect. That's mm. completely abstract. Yeah. Here. It's, it's, it's yes, pretty I agree. naturalistic. Yes,
2: completely. You're right. It doesn't have the dragon-like aspect to it, which, to be fair, Knight did with things like Elasmosaurus. He gave it that snake neck and gave it kind of uh, dragon-like appearance whereas this this tends to avoid that
0: well let, let's uh let's talk about the iguanodons. um I'm, I'm especially intrigued by this because um n- there is not at all a trace of the crystal palace iguanodon in this illustration and this is what nothing just, whatsoever none no. whatever and this is just several decades um after the great exhibition i mean uh um uh, I think Alice would have been a child around the time uh, the. Uh,
1: the Let opened. me see. She was born in the 1860s.
2: Yeah, you were saying about them not bearing any resemblance to Crystal Palace because, of course, the Belgian Iguanodons had turned up by that time and um, that was the end of them. <laughs> so it's incredible at all. And, of course, Hadrosaurus turned up in America and it was clearly similar, but obviously showed the long hind limbs and everything. And it was just. Well, I'm. I've read about Marsh coming over and seeing the of Palace dinosaurs and sort of scoffing at them as being ludicrous because he, was, he knew better at that point. <laughs> but, uh, but, but nevertheless... Yeah, Marsh was a Burke, wasn't he? Apparently it could be a bit... <laughs> but um, nevertheless, there is obviously one standing upright with the all of the pod foot and everything. There's another one which is squatted down that looks really crocodilian. Um, is it
1: supposed to be an iguanodon?
2: I mean, it just says... It's just captioned iguanodonts. Is it not meant to be the same animal, just lying down? Apparently it is. It looks to me like it probably pretty is. Pretty sure it is. The head. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think they are meant to be the same animal.
1: Having one individual standing up and one sitting down is a very Benjamin Hawkins thing to do. Yeah, it
2: is a reminiscent of Crystal Palace, except now one of them is more, looking more like, a bit more like in modern sort of styling ones, and the other one still, funnily enough, looks a bit like a kind of Crystal Palace-ish, uh, you know, squat reptilian thing. Again. There are some curious things about this. The sort of eyes, I mean, adding to the crocodilian appearance, the eyes that are sort of raised above the level of the skull, like a crocodile, you know, the raised eyes, like it's an amphibious creature. That's a slightly strange addition. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, just the fact that the one, the squatting down, sitting down one, looks like it's suddenly a lot wider and um, much more crocodilian than the one that's standing up.
1: Yeah, it does make you wonder how much uh, access she would have had to those Belgian fossils. Mm. Yeah, possibly not much.
2: I I don't know if they had a cast with the NHM by that point or not. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it's remarkable how much some of these have aged better than others and how they do seem, you know, how you must assume they reflect her access to better reference material at the time.
1: So, notable in their absence are big theropods. Ah, of course. By this time, of course, we had discovered quite a few during the Bone Wars and after including T-Rex itself. Of course, T-Rex was pretty brand new at this point and maybe hadn't reached the British shores yet. That's perfectly uh, possible. Big theropods are represented only once in a piece that isn't by Alice Woodward.
2: No, the dumpy Oh, Of course. <laughs> and this is a very right. peculiar piece, isn't it? It is not it It does feel quite apart from all the other dinosaur pieces in here um and as i said they are yes well obviously it's a different illustrator what was his name again uh, ernest bucknell we say obviously but they might have tried to comply with a kind of um house style when producing this and yet it looks completely different and it's um rather than having the animal foregrounded and really visible it's the animals are sort of hanging around in the middle distance and
0: well it seems it, it seems to accord with with his other illustrations in this book at least because as we said earlier um ernest bucknell, was responsible for for some of the landscapes uh, of the Mesozoic world in this book, and this illustration of the ceratosaurus seem uh, seems to me to accord with with that same approach uh, and does not foreground
1: the dinosaurs no it's almost like they 're silhouetted
2: yes so it's obviously consistent with his approach elsewhere, but not with woodwards by an illustration of dinosaurs um, yeah it's funny how just how dumpy they are how like pear shaped especially the <laughs> individual on the left um but yeah, also remarkable that they are the only large theropods in this book to speak of. There are a few that are mentioned. Megalosaurus gets mentioned and Laylaps, aka Dryptosaurus, is mentioned. But I don't think even Allosaurus gets mentioned in here. Or one of its various, you know, Androdemus and <laughs> various names. Andrew who? And Andrew who? And certainly <laughs> certainly, no Tyrannosaurus mentioned at all. It's absent. I mean, I think
0: we're just far too early for the, for the great charismatic theropods that will just absolutely overrule later on uh, throughout the centuries which is actually just one one of the more refreshing things about this book
1: yeah definitely and it's also just the british perspective right i mean the first right (laughs) exactly the first dinosaurs discovered in britain of course granted you had megalosaurus but megalosaurus isn't really in this book that's a bit strange
2: no although it gets mentioned and what's also mentioned is that the fact that scientists now think it had a nose horn not something I ever heard of before. <laughs> but they said like Ceratosaurus it may have also had a nose horn. Well, I imagine that's one of the well, many, many. Surely many they found dinosaurs. some theropod
1: named it Megalosaurus and it happened yeah, to be exactly it's because it's a with waste. It. Yeah.
2: yeah, a waste basket taxon. So it basically Yeah. Something was lumped into Megalosaurus that had a nose horn or a crest. And that's where that's come from, I guess. Sure. Um but it's yeah, still still weird to read nowadays. Like, oh yeah, it had a nose horn. Did it though? But yeah, no no Tyrannosaurs, even though Gorgosaurus was known by this time, as was Tyrannosaurus itself. I mean, um, yeah, where are they? Where are they? Tyrannosaurus caused a sens- sensation when it um, was mounted in New York. But oh, actually, had it been mounted yet?
1: Yeah, in America it did. Yeah.
2: I, surely it would have carried a bit. Like, they were still was... very
1: different worlds, I think. The the British world and the American world, and then yeah. the continental European world I do it think so. doing its own thing.
2: Yeah, you've probably got a point there. Yes,
0: I think so. <laughs> I mean, everything about the period uh, characterizes this book, actually. And, and this is when I come in to talk about the the stylistic approach. A lot of the things that we, were, we all talked about earlier, such as the, the dynamism and the, some of the compositional elements and choices that Alice makes, all of these, I think, are a testament to her work as, as, as a children's illustrator. Alice B. Woodward, an Edwardian illustrator, was working at, at the height of what was then called, uh, what came to be known rather, as the golden age of children's book illustration. And it was given this name because uh, from the late 19th century towards the Second World War, advancements had grown so much in, uh, in printing, especially colour illustrations, that um, illustrators, particularly of children's books uh, at this period, had really gained ground and, and became, in a way, almost um, as highly regarded as fine artists, um, because now was the chance uh, to get illustrated books out. Uh, here was the period of, of the gift book, um, where beautifully illustrated books by highly renowned illustrators uh, were being published year on year. This period of illustration remains one of the strongest influences to me personally. And in all of these things that we were talking about earlier, about um, Alice's approach, you can see where her penchant for storytelling uh, is the key to the success of of these illustrations. The things you were talking about, like the, the dynamism of the two Archaeopteryx fighting or the the uh atmospheric uh, dramatic uh composition of say those uh those marine reptiles or the just the beautiful off center compositions of illustrations like the Hesperonis, things like that and uh, and and even in the triceratops piece here is where to me someone who is a storyteller really succeeds um, and, and it's not always, uh, I, I suppose we, we're still talking about it today, it's not always your knowledge of the animals, but your training as an artist and as a storyteller that makes an illustration successful. But, but having, having said that, it is so very evident that Alice is highly informed, not just because of uh, her, her being a daughter of Henry Woodward and her connection with the Natural History Museum, but she was so clearly informed in how animals work, in how to draw animals, which again, stems back to uh, the illustrators of the period really knew their stuff. <laughs> they knew how to draw figures and animals. They, they It was all in their training. They, they were... They were professionals. They were professionals. Alice, like many illustrators of her period, knew how to draw animals. And that too uh, feeds in to all of this. A lot of the illustrations in here, um, especially of the later animals, uh, not the dinosaurs, but the mammals actually, <laughs> it could not help but remind me uh, of illustrations for other works, other fictional works that um, were contemporary uh, to her. And that not only she herself, but other illustrators uh, of the period would have been working on. I mean, for example, uh, on the frontispiece, um, which uh, we have no information as to what that could be for, except uh, that it's an early human. But the figure there, standing there with the monkeys, just somehow reminds me so strongly of an illustration by any one of her contemporaries for Rudyard Kipling's uh, The Jungle Book, I mean, that figure there, for all the world, could be Mowgli, couldn't it?
1: Oh yes, that's Mowgli, all right.
0: Right. And then there are further echoes of that later on in some of the other illustrations, like, for example, uh, the illustration of the uh, Moeritherium.
1: Yeah, so we see this herd passing through a a narrow passage and uh, there is one young one strolling behind and Perhaps uh, one of his parents there is uh, is looking mm. at it and maybe uh, watching if it comes along.
0: It seems like I'm making a tenuous connection, but I don't think it it is particularly, because this was the period where such books like Kipling's uh, would have been flourishing. I know that other illustrators of the period were working on them at the time. Uh, artists like Edward uh, Julius Detmold and his brother Maurice, for example, well known for their illustrations of Kipling's Jungle Book. That... And and the Moetherium, for all the world just reminds me of the moment when when uh, Mowgli hurts or chases rather a herd of buffalo into a ravine in order to kill Shere Khan. It's um it's it's impossible for me not to see through that lens, especially when we're talking about Alice B. Woodward. And then there's the illustration of the hippidium, and I can't I can't not see the ride of the valkyries in this oh yes Not i like the see Hipparian.
1: it or maybe the the wild hunt from uh, norse mythology Just right stampede of of muscular horses yeah
0: oh exactly and again these stories were ones that were being given lavish treatment to at the, at this period i'm i'm thinking in particular of, of, of one of my favorite uh, great illustrators of the golden age arthur rackham um, and there is a, a fantastic illustration of, uh, of Wotan, which he did for Wagner's Ring. And it's just not possible for me not to draw parallels between that and this illustration of the Hippidium. It, you know, it just recalled, <laughs> as I looked through this book, it just recalled to me instantly the ride of the Valkyries. And I really don't think it was a coincidence. I do think that the context... Uh, The the time during which Alice was working and her work primarily as a a book illustrator fed into all of this.
1: And maybe the drama is a bit more present with the mammals as well as the marine reptiles, which maybe were a bit more well known at the time. So maybe she felt more comfortable drawing them in particular situations rather than with the dinosaurs, which she just draws fairly neutrally, I think, save the Archaeopteryx, if you want to count that. Yeah, they're
0: mostly standing around. They are mostly standing around, but in, but in the composition is where, is where she gets to shine in, in some of the more static illustrations of, of dinosaurs and other animals that she chose not to depict as dramatically as, say, the mammals. But you can see in some of the compositions there, a lot of them are placed off-center and there are great swathes of either foreground or, or background material which, um, which really, uh, t- just to me, demonstrates uh, her own professional experience in, 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 uh, as a book illustrator of this period.
1: In a, a, another bit of parallel evolution, perhaps, something she shares in common with Charles Knight, who was working at the same time across the pond. Yes. Also someone who was perhaps a bit more comfortable drawing mammals than, than dinosaurs, but definitely a storyteller in his own right.
2: I don't feel that Woodward wood is necessarily doing it's just a it seems like as i said that some of the, the triceratops does have enormous thighs and seemingly as appropriately bulky and muscular as it should be thick just in other cases where i think the reference material is poorer she's going by more hearsay and <laughs> tropes um and parallels in, with modern animals obviously i'm mainly thinking about the diplodocus with uh which bears little resemblance to sauropod anatomy, and of course but has the. Then uh,
1: again, it also bears very little uh, resemblance to other paleo art. So, she was working of, not necessarily other paleo artists. She was working of part, partly no, hearsay and no. partly, you know, the 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 body of knowledge that was available to her, which would have been considerable. Yeah, but. I
2: mean, I can't imagine there'd be a huge amount of paleo art immediately available to copy from if uh, there was no, you know the um, assembled works of Night wasn't lying around. (laughs) Well, She could have... Everything else would have been well out of date. She couldn't have walked down to Crystal Palace and just, you know, copied everything there. It would have been hopeless. So uh, it really is quite a bit of innovation in here. um, Yes, there is. Constraints placed upon her as an artist at the time. But uh, again, I mean, what Peng was saying about the compositions, animals being off-centre. Again, he came back to Triceratops piece as being possibly the best example of everything. (laughs) But... It does have an animal draw, not quite from the lateral side view. It's slightly, um, slightly almost three quarter, isn't it, from the rear, um, with the sort of tail Mm. coming out towards the viewer and the head almost lateral, but also slightly facing away. But then behind that, um, but also obscured by, it, is another one that's turning its head towards us, so we get an impression of what that, what the frill is like, um, albeit obscured by the two horns. And she could have made the choice to. have the two quite separate or you know further apart but smaller have the the other one more obvious but it feels with that attention to, to composition it feels more real like these are two real animals in a in a scene that have happened to have been captured together and they wouldn't be neatly standing apart like they would that's be right. for, for an illustrator you know to, in a diagrammatic kind of fashion it, it feels like a something that's actually been drawn from observation especially with the very detailed foliage both in the foreground and the background especially the background. Um, so again, yeah, it's definitely one of my favourites. Yes. Some of the others do feel a bit like, like the canthus looks like it has uh, sort of succulents placed around it, like it's a model with <laughs> with succulents, <laughs> which, has been, which has been a bane of um, dinosaur art for... Uh, well, it was a bane of dinosaur art for a long time. I mean, the, the Stegosaurus, again, is also kind of similar. Um, the, although, you, yeah, in that case, the plant is in the foreground, so you could argue it's just right next to the viewer, but definitely in that one. But then... Yeah, also the Scythosaurus, the foliage in that is fantastic. Um, So it's, yeah, it's
1: very, very mixed. You wanted to uh, talk about the Tyranodon as well?
2: Oh, yeah, whatever's going on there. (laughs) That's an interesting one. It looks like most of them have head crests, but then the one in the foreground doesn't, or is it just obscured by the wing? I can't decide. Is it just really short and obscured by the wing? I don't think it's there. I don't remember the text. It looks like just like basically a gull sitting there
1: as well yeah that's a uh-huh.
0: goal i can't substantiate this because i cannot remember the title of the work but i am almost convinced that this pteranodon is modeled after the one by joseph pennell who as it happens was one of her teachers one of alice woodward's teachers um but there is an illustration uh which has not uh, for a story that has nothing to do with prehistoric life whatever it's just a short story with some illustrations but there is one among them in which uh, a pterosaur is seen charging out of a window carrying a glove of all things um and i'm almost convinced that alice's pterosaur pteranodon here is modeled after that one um Again, I say that I can't substantiate this because I cannot remember the title of the book or can be certain that it is, that that illustration that I'm referring to is by Joseph Pennell. But if it is, it would make perfect sense his having been one of her teachers.
1: Of course, looking at this particular pterosaur reconstruction, it's aged in a completely different way than so many other reconstructions of pteranodon in particular, which have a tendency to look either bat-like or skeletal, or way too thin. This is none of that. Yeah,
2: this isn't either of those. So you've got to give it that. It's neither bat-like nor really thin. Um it might even be as thin as it should be. <laughs> but, um, as in, well, the, the body looks like it maybe it should be a different shape. but um, It's quite rotund, isn't it? I, I think if we start... It's a to a bit pithy, primate-like, I think. Take, we're going to be here all day. Yeah, it's going to It look a bit primate-like. is very primate-like, you're right. Yeah. And then the head is pure bird. But it is intriguing. It's Yeah, but the wings aren't bat-like, so no, the wings are. That. No, it is. It is.
0: It is quite quite unique in being so distinctly different from from anything where that came afterwards. Actually,
1: yeah, that's what I um, find interesting about it. Is it's it's definitely obviously aged, and we're not going to hold that against her. But it's aged in a completely different way than so many other pterosaur reconstructions. It's it's also completely different from the. The Hawkins yeah, pterosaurs, right? They're,
2: they're decades older, but yeah, they were pretty. About like, I suppose the knowledge had moved on quite a bit by this time. Um, I was going to say as well, it's Asian a different way to some of the dinosaurs. In the you look at that, and even though it looks kind of weird, you, see, you can see oh, it's a pterosaur just by the wings. Yeah. Um, you look at that stegosaurus again. Sorry, to keep going back to it. <laughs> you look at that. Oh, okay. All the adasaurus earlier on, which has like a well a lizard head or a tuatara head.
1: Tuatara, possibly. mostly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's like what well, this looks like one of those cheesy films from back in the day where they stuck a load of adornments on lizards and called it a dinosaur or, you know, or a Permian synapsid. Whereas, that, that's uh, yeah, again, that stegosaurus just really, it, it just looks like a lizard. It's nothing like a stegosaurus whatsoever, apart from being spiky. But this does look like a pterosaur. That's the thing. Yeah. It's it's wrong by modern standards, but it still looks like a pterosaur. You can see it's a pterosaur, just someone's kind of early attempt at it. Which but- is interesting how that's... Uh,
1: but but then, right, imagine being in Edwardian Britain and oh, maybe you're only... <laughs> no, thank you. Well, imagine being in Britain now. That's way worse. Um, Don't have to. Imagine being in Edwardian Britain and picking this book up. And maybe your only frame of reference for dinosaurs is, is the Crystal Palace uh, exhibition. And then you pick this up. Mm. You know, you're probably going to be wowed, right? Oh, absolutely. And you're going to be utterly convinced by these, especially the ones that that look like lizards, because, you know, you're probably familiar with lizards, and you, you're going to pick this up, you're going to look at this, and you're going to go, wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Right? Completely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just completely. wanted to make that point, because... This is properly amazing for the 1910s. It
0: is. Even if I were not an Edwardian person <laughs> or someone in Edwardian England picking up this book and being wowed by it, I'm wowed by it even now just from my own knowledge of of her place in it and and of my love for this period of illustration in particular. I, again, I, I know I keep coming back to this aspect, but it's, it's a lens that I, it's impossible for me to escape from. It still wows me even now for all of the reasons we've been talking about. The inaccuracy or however otherwise the depictions have aged seem to me entirely immaterial just because I already have that love and appreciation for this um for this work on its own terms
1: yeah well the, the thing I'm working towards as well is um this is so early she wasn't familiar with Knight. the only stuff she would have been familiar with was Hawkins and everything that came before Hawkins so you know, the proper Anteluvian dragon stuff. the De la Beche, that sort of thing. So she was a proper pioneer. I would say so. She had to make these animals up from scratch. All she had to work from was either mounted skeletons or some skeletal reference. And it was her job to turn that into uh, proper animals with almost no precedent. Exactly. And doing such an amazing job of it. Mm-hmm. I, I would say uh, Alice Woodward deserves to be regarded at the same level as charles knight oh i completely and that is my closing statement the defense
2: rests (laughs) i think if she had been given access to the same material that knight had access to then she definitely would be remembered in the same in the same vein
1: yeah and if she had born if she had been born with different genitals let's be honest so there's a bit of disparity there i think if she had had access to
2: all those amazing specimens at the amnh that knight could just go and you know visit any day he wanted <laughs> um she would have produced work on par with him easily i think so yeah yeah you're oh, right without question it's long short uh,
0: without question yes and and she would oh, this goodness can you can you imagine the, the level of ecstasy i would have gone into <laughs> if she had been both as well known as a children's illustrator and as a scientist or, or a scientific illustrator at the time but, but this brings me to, to my last point, I think, which is, um, for all that I said, that one of the merits, to me at least, uh, of Alice and, and her work is that she was uh, grounded in, in children's book illustration and that then fed into the way that she approached her, her, in this book at least, her paleo art. And although I said that that, to me, was one of her greater merits as opposed to her be, just becoming a paleoartist without reference to anything else, part of me does wonder whether, because of the period during which she was working and because of the fact that she was a woman, whether the book illustration part was merely, was merely something that she might have decided against if scientific illustration was available to her as a career in its own right at the time. Would she have chosen to go that direction instead? That's what I want to know.
1: Ah, that's a very interesting question. I suppose we'll never know. I suppose no, we no. never will. Well, if, if we had a time machine, we'd use it for different things, but... <laughs>
2: no, we wouldn't. We'd go back and ask illustrators what they would do with their careers, if they had the opportunities.
1: Yeah, we'd, we'd bring... Uh... We'd have Alice Woodward on the show.
2: <laughs> yes, we
1: would. So yeah, Alice Woodward, um, go check it out. The book is called Evolution in the Past, and it is in the public domain. Um, the the funny thing is, I actually bought uh, a paper copy, which is kind of dodgy, uh, and really I needn't have bothered. Uh, the uh, the illustrations really didn't turn out that nice in the in the printing, and it's kind of cheaply done, and it's it's a bit trash. But yeah, you can that's
2: uh, the one reason you want a paper copy. <laughs>
1: like, well, it didn't occur to me that it was in the public even. domain, so I could just look up a PDF. But there there are good PDFs available, which are free to read and to download, and uh, we'll. Um, We'll, yeah. link, uh, we'll link one in the uh, show notes, so you can check the book out for yourself. Um, do read it. It's a good read. Um, one thing I like to do when I have uh, an old it. book like this is not just, not just read what they got wrong and at what points they jumped the gun, but also at uh, how many times they were right, how many times they Absolutely. got it right, which is more often than you think. I
2: mean, there is stuff in here about pterosaurs getting senile as a clade
1: but there's also some stuff that's quite prescient it too
2: it's a mix as you would expect it's over 100 years old we can't exactly oh, it's, it's blame a for
1: fascinating this. time capsule i uh, i recommend yeah. it to anyone
0: and this is neither here nor there but i just wanted to point out that in this particular pdf that we have um, the copy that has been scanned um, actually happens to bear the author's signature
1: as well, well. there you go signed copy too
2: I want to read out um, an important remark that the author makes on Triceratops in this book. So this is on page 100 and concerning Triceratops, the three horns. His horns were doubtless of use for other purposes than fighting. If he had, like elephants, a partiality for roots, he could use them for digging up shrubs and trees. It is not likely these appendages underwent any improvement as a result of what is called sexual selection. It would certainly be rash to suppose that these cold-blooded, dull-witted creatures exhibited much ardour or discrimination in their love affairs. Which is absolutely fantastic.
0: I mean, I kind of I spoke rough. about
2: this before,
0: but I really do miss this literary style of writing, uh, which were just uh, omnipresent in, in natural history writings of the time. <laughs> I just think, yeah, I miss it. Mm. It's just wonderful.
2: Food for thought. I mean... Look at Stegosaurus, for instance, with his pikes and battlements. His dorsal castellation, no doubt, denied him the luxury of rolling on his back, but it kept him well guarded against assault in that quarter. It's great stuff. Also talks about the, the butt brain. No doubt the upper chamber was extraordinarily mean capacity, and the interests of good government, some check on its prerogatives, may have been desirable. But there's really no reason to suppose that the lower chamber contained any intelligence at all. <laughs> so you go, know, it's, it's a dismissive of the second brain idea. In a roundabout way. Oh,
1: there you go. I mean,
2: uh,
1: uh, that's a that's a bit that holds <laughs> up.
2: Of the language, though, <laughs> in the interest of good government, some check on its prerogatives may have been desirable. It's like,
1: <laughs> yeah, Riley Black doesn't write like that. <laughs> so, uh, I think we, uh, I think we did did a fine job there. I think we uh, really uh, stood up for uh, for Alice Woodward there.
2: Yep. Yeah.
0: Good luck editing that down. I really do think she she deserves not to be forgotten. And again, as I said before, not just as her role as a book illustrator, but as a scientific
2: one. Yeah, and it's a bit of a shame um, that the specific illustration of her that turns up everywhere is that Diplodocus, because I think it should be the Triceratops. Just show you'll look, this is a Triceratops from 1912. Look how good it is. <laughs> look at it. No, I agree. I totally agree with that. I
1: think it might be a consolation, Mark, that... Uh, it is, in fact, the Triceratops that was probably the most widely copied and the most influential as as a piece of paleo art in that particular way. Not least because it probably informed the uh, Invicta toy, which you uh, uh, love so
2: much. Uh, I don't know. I think they have a common uh, origin. I don't think necessarily it was informed by the Invicta toy. Well, uh, yeah. Um, so no, rather right, right, right. it informed the Invicta we'll, toy. Uh, I don't. This mm, is a, a little. Uh, I tend to agree with that this. One. This discussion it's for This
1: is a little bit of foreshadowing for a for a future episode. <laughs> oh, yes, it <laughs>
0: is. <gone> Important conversation <laughs> for another time. <laughs> yes, it is.
1: And and with that, uh, Mark uh, Nati, thank you so much for uh, for podding with me. It's been an honor as usual, and uh, I hope you join us again next month thank as you we cover so Ted Sukon. I hope you're all going to be there because uh, we're going to have a great time Podding along.
0: Do yes. please come and say hello
2: if you're a listener yes please do
1: say hello if I borrowed a book from you I'll probably give it back
2: probably come say
1: hi to us give us a high five uh, uh, give us a hug I'm a hugger not so
2: much unless you save my mobile phone then I'll give you a hug (laughs) Uh,
1: and if you want to hear that story buy us a drink and we'll tell you (laughs) yeah so uh, see you next month and uh, thank you for listening everybody goodbye thank you so much bye bye Thank you for listening to Love in the Time of Chasmosaurus. Your hosts were Nati Himapan, Mark Vincent, and me, Niels Hasborg. You can find all links and images we discussed today on our blog at chasmosaurus.com. You can find us on Twitter at chasmosaurus and on Facebook at Love in the Time of Chasmosaurus. If you want to give us your support, please give us a comment or a good review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support us at patreon.com LITC. Our music is by Rohan Long, who can be found at bronzewing.bandcamp.com. Stay safe, look after each other, and we hope to see you again soon.